Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. We are in a series called The King's Heart, where we are looking at the heart of the King of Kings of Jesus Christ. There is a particular set of verses in Matthew chapter 11 where Jesus says, my heart is gentle and lowly. Last Sunday, we looked at what it means to say that Jesus' heart is gentle. And today we're going to look at what does it mean that his heart is lowly. And so that's where we will be this morning. But before we look at what it means that his heart is lowly, I I want you to think about something. Many of you, even most of you, have a cell phone. And so on your cell phone, you probably have some kind of an app that has all of your contacts in it. And and on your your contacts on your phone, if you were to take that out and scroll through it, you probably would find a name or two in your personal contact list that you were surprised you have their contact. Maybe it's a, a, a politician that you've got their contact information. Maybe it's a local celebrity. Maybe it's a, an athletic star. Maybe it's a leader of industry. You know, maybe it's, it's someone of, of some fame in a circle in which you run or, or a business that you work in. Or maybe even it's just the number to a, a certain vendor, like maybe it's AT&T that allows you to bypass all of the robots and talk to a person when you first call customer service. See, all of us inside of our contact list probably have a number or two that are surprising for us, even that they are in our contact list. I know for me, I've got a few numbers in my phone that are maybe not numbers that would impress you, but they're pastors that have national and international platforms. And when I scroll through my contact list, I'm like, how did I end up with that? And I'm surprised at that. But I got to tell you, you know how many times I have called those people that Maybe it would be surprising that they're even in my phone. Exactly, you guessed it, zero times. Zero times. Now, why have I never called them? And why have you probably not called the surprising number in your contact list either? Well, the reason why we don't call them is because we assume that the famous people don't really want to hear from us. We assume that it, it is just some kind of courtesy that their number ended up in our phone, some kind of nice gesture, but not something we should ever really cash in on. We don't want to bother them, so we don't text them and we don't call them. See, friends, this is how we are conditioned to think about famous people, and it creates a problem for us. And that problem shows up when we think about the one who is most famous of all. We think about the Son of God, the one who's the King of Kings, the one who's the Lord of Lords, the one whose name is above all others, the one at whose name every knee will eventually bow. He is at the top of everything. And then when we came to faith, somebody told us that God's number was placed in our soul so that we could contact him at any time. If we're not careful, what will happen is we will begin to think this way. I'm really glad that God gave me that nice gesture that I could actually contact him. But I'm never really going to do it. Why? Because I know how it works with famous people. I don't want to bother them. And yet, on the pages of Scripture, we see the picture of God that is different than the God that we imagine. 
We see the picture of God that welcomes us into his presence. We see a picture of God where where Jesus says, I want you to know that my heart is lowly. And by his heart being lowly, what he means is his heart is accessible. His desire is to be absolutely accessible to you and me. That is the wonder of our Savior. And this morning as we look at these verses, I want to see that and I want to reflect on it a little bit more about what it means that our God has a lowly heart. Now, as we think about this today, we're going to look at Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. I want to read those verses for us and then we'll back up and make three observations from these verses. Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 28, Jesus is talking and he says this. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, friends, in in those verses, there are some important truths that we need to be reminded of. So what are they? Well, the first thing we need to be reminded of is Jesus' invitation. We need to remember Jesus' invite. Now, this is something we looked at last Sunday, but these verses really are an invitation. Jesus is standing before a crowd, and this morning, Jesus is standing before us on the pages of Matthew chapter 11, and he is inviting us to do something. Well, what is he inviting us to do? Well, he's inviting us to come to him. Now, this invitation goes to all who labor and are heavy laden. It doesn't go to all who have it all figured out. It doesn't go to all who have the perfect spiritual resume. It doesn't go to all who have never committed that sin, whatever that sin is in your world. This is an invitation that goes out to all who are labor and who are heavy laden. All who are laying under the weight of sin and struggle and trying to figure some way to connect with the God who created us, trying to find some path to forgiveness and to atonement. Jesus said to all who are struggling, his invitation was to come. And his invitation was to come not to a program, not to a class, not to a process. But he said, I want you to come to me. Jesus said, I am the one who can deliver you from that which is weighing you down. Jesus said, come to me and I will remove this weight from you. And we know that the way that Jesus did that was he died on the cross for our sins. To take the wrath of God that was deserving us and to take it upon himself. Jesus says, come to me and I will take that off of you and I will place it on me. And then he said, come to me, all who are labored and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you salvation. I will give you security. I will give you the security of being a son or a daughter of God. See, in this invitation to come, Jesus was saying, come to me and I will give you the salvation of your souls. I will give you a hope for all eternity. Now, after making that invitation, Jesus continued and he makes this statement. He says, not just to come unto salvation, but he says, also, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, what was he saying when he said that? He said, not just come to me for salvation, but once you come to me for salvation, I want you to tether yourself to me. 
I want to be yoked together with you like a team of oxen. And I want you to allow me to set the direction and the pace of your life. I want to go for a walk with you through this life so that you might live the life that I created you to live. It's a call to discipleship. Now, both the call to salvation and the call to discipleship are a call that requires our faith. It requires us to look to Jesus and say, Jesus, you are the one who can give me salvation. And it requires us to look to Jesus and say, Jesus, you are the one who knows what is best for my life. And so I will tether myself to you and I will walk in your direction and I will walk at your pace. See, Jesus gives an invitation in Matthew 11 to come and to take, to salvation and to discipleship. And this invitation, friends, is, again, an invitation that is presented even to you and I today. As we sit here this morning, Jesus is inviting you to himself. He's inviting you to trust him for your salvation. And he's inviting you to trust him with your life itself. Have you responded in faith? And if you haven't responded in faith, have you ever stopped to think about why? Why is it that I don't want to come to Christ for salvation? What is it that has caused you to not want to turn to him? He's offering you rest, and you're refusing it? Why? He's offering you the direction and the pace that you were created to walk in and the the direction you were created to go. Why would you not walk with him? Well, friends, it's because many times our understanding of God is skewed because there are a number of forces in the world today that want to confuse our understanding of who God is. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, the Apostle Paul said this, he says, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. These two verses describe a number of enemies that try to keep people away from God. What are, what are those influences? Well, it's the influence of this world. When, when he says this world, he's not referring just to terra firma. He's not just referring to the, the physical elements of this world, but he's talking about the philosophy of this world. The philosophy of this world wants to corrupt and confuse our understanding of who God is and who we are. We live in a world that is wanting to scramble that egg on a consistent basis. If we just were to look to the world and say to the world, teach me who Jesus is, the world would present a picture of Jesus that would be less than who Jesus really is. If you look only to the university or to to academics, you would find a Jesus that is revealed that is less than who he really is. That's what the world does. It's an enemy. It's a force of confusion. But not just the world, also the prince of the power of the air. This is referring to to Satan himself and his demonic influences. We really have an enemy in this world who is seeking to keep us away from God and confusing things in our brains. Left to ourselves, this enemy might deter us from a clear understanding of who God is and keep us from trusting him in faith. Not only that, but he defines the enemy here of the flesh. And and what is the flesh? The flesh is what we're walking around with. It's that part of us that has persisted even after we have come to faith in Christ. 
It's that part that we deal with in this life that gives us a propensity and a desire to sin. And I think if we take these enemies and we put them in the context of our understanding of God, if we just lived in the world and all we had was our own thoughts and our own mind and our own hunches about who Jesus was, we would come up with a Jesus that was less than, a Jesus that we can walk away from, a Jesus that we should avoid because he doesn't want what's best for us. That's what we convince ourselves of, or that's what the world wants to convince us of, that there's a better way to live than the way that Jesus describes. There's confusion that exists, and Satan is happy to be behind those influences to keep us away from God. So what do we do to combat that? Well, we need to calibrate around the Scripture. We need to calibrate around who God really is. Jesus really came to the earth, and God really inspired human authors to record Jesus as he came to the earth so that you and I might know who God really is. Rather than just imagining who God is and allowing the forces of the world and the flesh and the devil to to confuse our understanding of God, far better for us to allow the Scripture to reveal God who really is. And the God who really is spoke in Matthew chapter 11. And he said, I want you to know what is in my heart. And he says, what's in my heart, Jesus said, is gentle and lowly. Now, last Sunday we talked about the gentleness and the gentle heart of God. And we talked about that largely as it relates to his compassion and his care. But today we're going to talk a little bit more about what this means when he says that he is also lowly in heart, lowly in heart. Because when we remember that he's lowly, it will help us respond correctly to his invitation. So what does it mean that he's lowly? Well, in simple terms, it means that he is accessible. It means that he is accessible. The one who is is most elevated, the one who is most high, is also the one who is most accessible to us. Have you ever thought about that? The one who is greater than all is most accessible to us. You know, my wife and I are, are close. We've been married now for many years, and she is such a blessing to me. And I would consider we are very close. In other words, there are things that I can think, and I don't even need to say it, but she kind of knows what I'm thinking because of all of that history and experience. But even my wife, if I want to communicate with my wife, I have to do something. I have to go someplace. If she's at home and I am here and I want to talk to her, I either need to go home to talk to her or I need to pick out my phone and call her. I need some assistance to get there. I cannot just bow my head and talk to my wife. There's a separation that exists. But the connection and the accessibility we have to the God who created us, have you thought about this? We can simply bow our head or we can simply focus our thoughts and we have access to him. That is remarkable. And it's because in his very heart, he's lowly. Now, we need to remember again who he is. I made these references earlier, but those aren't just my ideas or imagination. This is right from the Scripture. 
1 Timothy 6.15, he's the king of kings. There is no one greater than him. He's the Lord of lords. No one leads better than him. Revelation 17.14, he's the one who created it all. Colossians 1.16, he's the one that holds it all together. Colossians 1.17, and he's the one whose name is above all names that everyone will bow before. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. This is who Jesus is. Now, those who have these things on their resume typically are not very accessible to us, right? Think about the, the, the most important person that you know, right? They have some kind of job or title. They're a fairly important person. Their, their credentials are going to be less than this, right? But think of how inaccessible at times they are to you. Their cell phone is not given out to everyone. They sit behind layers of receptionists and others that work for them before you would have access to them. They, they work in offices where you have to go through many doors to get to them. They have bodyguards that follow them around as they travel so that they might not be bothered by other people. This is what we're aware of with, with famous people. Right? They're things as they live out their lives, they're not very accessible to us. But the one who is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who created it all, the one who holds it all together, the one whose name is above all others is absolutely accessible to you and to me, not just sometimes, but all the time. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, even on leap year. We have access to God all the time. Why is that? Because he's lowly at heart. It has motivated him to stoop to us from this vaulted, exalted identity to stoop down to us so that we might have access to him all the time. It's who he is. Jesus said it. He says, I'm, I'm lowly in heart. Now, this word lowly, we, we need to do a little bit of study on this word so that you might see. Because you might be going lowly, accessible. How are you getting there? So let's look a little bit at this word biblically. The word lowly in the New Testament is used in a number of different places. Here's a, a scattering of the places where it is used. Luke 152, that's Mary after finding out that she's going to bear Jesus, she says that God exalts those of humble estate. She's looking at her own life, so there's nothing super fancy about me. I'm of humble estate. That's this idea of being lowly. In Romans chapter 12, verse 16, followers of Jesus are encouraged and exhorted to associate with the lowly, to not act haughty over them. In other words, those of, of no social status, those who can do nothing for us, those of, of little means, we are not to neglect or ignore, but we are to welcome them as well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 6, he says that we are to comfort the downcast. Again, that word downcast is the expression of lowly, that God comforts the downcast as well. We see in James 4, 6, that, we, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This word humble is the word lowly. And then a similar thought expressed in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5. See, in all of these instances, 
we have those who are not of a great social status, those who our world might tend to marginalize, are described with this word lowly. And so the, the question you, you ought to be asking at this point is, wait a minute, are you saying that, that Jesus somehow is lacking? Are you saying that Jesus doesn't have enough stuff? Are you saying that Jesus doesn't have enough whatever so that he might be described as someone of a humble of state or, 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 or someone who is downcast or, or someone who needs to be looked out for because they wouldn't be welcomed at parties? Well, friends, I think the idea behind it is this. The ones who are on this list typically don't have bodyguards. The ones who are on this list typically do not have receptionists. The ones who are on this list typically do not work in exalted towers behind many doors with cell phones that only a few have. The ones who are described by this word lowly are people that are absolutely accessible to all. If you want to talk to the homeless person, you walk up to them and talk. You don't have to schedule an appointment with their people. See, friends, this is what Jesus says of his heart. His heart is accessible. Though he and his identity lacks nothing, though he is exalted and above all, he has made himself accessible to us because he is lowly at heart. He has stooped to us so that we might have access to him. Now, if this is what this word means, then we would expect, and Jesus is lowly of heart, we would expect to see that show up in terms of his life and ministry upon the earth. And that's exactly what we find. We see the, the lowly heart of Jesus showing up in his ministry in a number of ways. One of the places that it shows up is in the incarnation. Why did I call it the incarnation? Because some of you, again, would be upset if I used the word Christmas before Thanksgiving. But incarnation is another word for Christmas. It's another word for the, the physical arrival of Jesus upon the earth. John 1.14 tells us that Jesus was the, is God and he took on flesh and dwelt among us. Literally, he tabernacled among us or he, he went camping among us. Think about that. Why did he do that? Why not just send a memo? Why not just send a message? It's because he wanted to be accessible to us. He came and lived our life so that we might know him. Think about it in Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 and 14. Jesus is there with his disciples. And while he's there with his disciples, a bunch of children come up. What do his disciples do? They think that their role is a bodyguard. So they begin to step in the way. Kids, back up, back up. Important person behind me, back up. They think they're a bodyguard. But what does Jesus say? Get out of the way, Peter. Get out of the way, Andrew. I don't want you to hinder these little ones from coming to me. They are important to me just as you are. Let them come to me. No receptionist, no bodyguard, no ivory tower. No multiple doors, no hidden cell phone. Walking the streets, welcoming children into his presence. Why? Because he's lowly at heart. Not only that, but we see it with the stories that he told. One of the most famous stories that Jesus told was the parable of the prodigal son. Great story, right? Son acts up, takes his inheritance, 
runs away. But the father in the story, who is a representative of God, is found doing what? Not inside, wringing his hands about his disobedient child, but outside, looking down the road for his child's return. And even as the story ends, where's the father at the end of the story? With the older brother, who is complaining that the father had welcomed back the younger. Why does that happen that way, friends? It happens that way because our God is lowly at heart. He is accessible to us. Oh, we see this in the miracles of Jesus. In Mark chapter 5, verses 30 and 31, Jesus is walking through a busy crowd when a woman touches the edge of his garment. And, and, and the, Jesus stops and says, hey, somebody touched me. And the disciples are like, no kidding, somebody touched you. There's a crowd of people around you. And Jesus said, no, no, not just like a pat on the back, but somebody touched me and they were healed. And I want to know what's going on. Why? Because he's so accessible. The disciples, again, are like, Jesus, come on, we've got places to go. And Jesus said, no, I want to talk to her. Why? Because he's lowly at heart. We see it in their moments of need. The disciples are out on the Sea of Galilee, and they're straining against the oars in Mark chapter 6. What happens in that moment? Jesus came walking to them on the water. You know, when I first read those verses in Mark 6, for years I thought it said Jesus went out there to bypass them. In other words, he was just out for a walk on the water and he just wanted to bypass them so they wouldn't even see him. No, that's not what it says. It says he intended to pass by them. Different phrasing. He went out there to be with them. Why? Because he's lowly at heart. He's accessible to his people even in the midst of the challenges they're going through. We see it in John chapter 14, verses 15 to 18, as Jesus is anticipating his ascension. He says, if I go, guess who will come? Not an angel to sit on your shoulder, but my spirit to live inside of you, to guide you into truth and to help keep this connection real and to expand it for all of my followers, regardless of where they live upon the earth. Why does his spirit come to reside in our hearts? Because he is lowly at heart. He wants to be accessible to us, to each of us, to you even today. We see it in the fact that Jesus welcomes prayers. The disciples want to know, how do I pray? Jesus tells them to pray, and he tells stories about prayer. He invites them into the presence of God. Why? Because God desires to have that kind of access with us. Jesus didn't say, God doesn't have time for all of you. So put all your requests together and let the most righteous of you make that request for you. Jesus said, no, no, you want to pray? Here's how you pray. Our Father, your Father, go to Him in prayer. And go to Him not just sometimes, go to Him without ceasing. Not just a nice sentiment, you got the contact in your soul, but dial it, talk to Him anytime He welcomes us into His presence. And in John 17, Jesus even prays for us. Why is He praying for us as He prepares to go to the cross? Because He's lowly at heart. He's accessible to us. He's connected to us. So friends, we've seen that Jesus is lowly at heart. We've been reminded that that means that he is accessible to us. But my question to you now is, do you know that he's accessible to you? Again, it's possible to hear a message like this and think, I'm really glad that somebody thinks they have that kind of access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. No, friends, The whole point of Jesus' statement 
was that all who were weary and heavy laden could come to him and find an accessible God. Therefore, you can come to him today. You can walk with him today. He cares about you. Regardless of your background, regardless of what you've done, regardless of who your family is, Jesus wants to know, will you come to me to salvation and will you walk with me in discipleship? Now, we've seen that the heart of God is both gentle and lowly. But as we've walked through this series, there probably are some of you, maybe even all of us, who want to raise our hand at some point and offer an objection. Great. It's wonderful that you have focused on the gentleness and the lowliness of Jesus, but what about all this other stuff about him? What about judgment? What about holiness? What about truth? I mean, you're, you're, you're painting a picture of Jesus that is quite domesticated. What, what about the lion? You know, uh, Revelation chapter 5, verse 5 describes Jesus this way. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. As we re- reflect on the gentle and lowly heart of God, want to raise our hand and we want to say, wait a minute, what about the lion? Have we taken the lion of the tribe of Judah, the conqueror of all, and have we made him a house cat? Well, friends, we need not exclude one verse to the other. The same God who is revealed as the lion of the tribe of Judah is also the God who revealed that his heart is gentle and lowly. So we need to understand that both of those things can happen together. So I want to offer four concluding thoughts about how those two things might reconcile. Our gentle and lowly lion, what are some things to think about? Well, the first one is, he is gentle and lowly to those who turn to him. Jesus has offered, come unto me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my my burden is light. It's well-fitting for you. Jesus says, if we turn and we come to him, we will find that he is gentle and and he is lowly. But But if we persist in our sin, if we persist in disobedience, if we persist and say, I will not turn to him, I will not come to him, then ultimately that gentleness and loneliness will not be the Jesus that we experience. Ultimately, we would experience his judgment. Now, Jesus has delayed his judgment out of a desire for us to repent. But if we do not turn to him, we will not receive the blessings of his gentleness and lowliness. That's why Jesus expressed all this so clearly to them. He said, I want you to do something. I want you to respond. I want you to come to me because I want to treat you this way because it's in my very heart. It's who I am. But if we persist, we will not find gentleness and lowliness. If we persist in staying away from him, we will find his judgment one day. We turn to him while you still have time. Second thing that we need to remember in light of this is this. In his holiness, he is gentle and lowly. In his holiness, he is gentle and lowly. Jesus is not stained by sin. Jesus has has never fallen short. He has never made a mistake. He is absolutely holy and perfect. 
But you know what he has done with that holiness and perfection? He offers to share it with us. Why? Because he's gentle and lowly. Because he's compassionate to us and accessible to us. So if we come to him, what he does is he takes our sin off of us and gives us rest. Then he takes his righteousness and clothes us in it. So that when we stand before God, he accepts us not on the basis of our performance, but on the basis of his righteousness. It's an expression of his gentleness and his lowliness. He's absolutely holy. He has not lowered the standard. He just provides us his life, not just his death. Third thing we need to remember is this. In his judgment, he is gentle and he is accessible. Now, this one you might scratch your head a little bit about. So let me just share this. You know, in 2022, next year, I'm going to be preaching through the book of Revelation. So I've been reading that and thinking about that a lot over the last number of months. And one of the things that is interesting in Revelation is that there are 21 different waves of judgment that come upon the earth. There are bowls, there are trumpets, there are seals that are broken, and judgment comes. And so you might ask, why is it that this judgment is in such a progressive fashion? Is it because God is just so angry? I mean, God, remember, friends, he could judge in an instant. Why is he delayed? And why will he delay even at the end over a season of time? Well, the reason why he delays is because he wants people to repent. Even in the midst of the end-time judgment, it comes in waves, and in the midst of those waves, he pauses, and he gives a testimony that people might respond in faith. Friends, why does he do that? Because he's gentle. And, and when he comes to judge, who is it that comes to judge? It's himself. Why does Jesus himself come back to the earth? Because he's lowly, because he's accessible, because this is the world that he created for his purpose. He cares for his world. So in his judgment, he is gentle and he's accessible. And a fourth thing we need to remember is his gentleness and his lowliness always walk in truth. You know, we live in a world today that want to take concepts like love and justice and separate them from truth so that they can mean anything we want them to mean. But what we see in Jesus is we see him applying his gentleness in his lowliness, always with his truth. It's not just an empty emotion, but he's guiding us and pointing us in the direction that we were created to go. And so we see that even in the midst of his expressions of truth, he's gentle with us. The woman caught in adultery, broken before him. Jesus does not cast her out, but comforts her, and then says, let's go for a walk in life together. The gentleness and the lowliness of our Savior walking in the truth. Friends, the lion is a gentle and a lowly lion. All this is important, as we saw last week, Tozer's comment. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Because how we respond to God is ultimately what is most important about us. And how we respond to God is instructed by who we understand God to be. 
Jesus stands before us and says, I am gentle and lowly at heart. May we remember that and hear that and let it nurture our souls today that we might turn to him in faith. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for just this incredible passage and the great truth that is found there. May we come to Jesus in faith today and follow him. In his name we pray.